Help us, loving God, to walk the way of the cross and find it to be the way of abundant life. Amen. You all know that along with Jim Green and Edward Norville, I am a member of the leadership team for Racial Equity Rowan, a group that is committed to bringing conversations and workshops about racial healing to our community. We began our work in 2019, and since then I've attended many two-day workshops as a member of the team. I've lost track of how many exactly it is. I think it's 12 workshops that I've been to. And while I am nowhere near an expert on the topic, after a dozen workshops, things do start to sink in a bit. The team that facilitates the workshops often talks about the importance of knowing our definitions. If we do not agree on terms, there's not much hope for progress or learning. And one of the terms that we discuss is power. When participants are asked what power is, they say things like authority, control, influence, or strength. Those understandings aren't necessarily wrong, it's just they're overly complicated. Power means to be able to. That's it. You have power if you have the ability to do something, to do anything. And when it comes to conversations about racial equity, this is an important definition because it means that all of us have power. You do not need to be an elected official or a prominent business owner. No, we all have voices, choices, and votes. So bear this definition in mind. To have power is to be able. And given that definition of power, most people have power in every situation because there is always some action or inaction that can be done. But there are some situations in which we truly are powerless. And this week's collect describes one such predicament. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. When it comes to our salvation, we have no power in ourselves to save ourselves. We are not able to raise ourselves from the grave. We are not able to make ourselves perfectly worthy of being loved. We are not able to atone for all of our sins and make right all of the things that we have done wrong. Because we are limited as humans, we are not always able. We are limited in space. We can only be at one place at a time. We are limited in time. If we are fortunate, we get a hundred healthy years. And that's it. We are limited in our knowledge. We can only know so many things. We are always bound by our perspective. We are unaware of how our subconscious mind is in the driver's seat of our decisions and emotions. We are physically limited. Our bodies all eventually break down, and we only have so much energy each day. We are limited in our experience. To choose one path means we do not take the other. I'm sure there are many other ways that we all feel like we run up against a limit. There is one place, though, where we encounter strength even in our weakness, wisdom 
even in our ignorance, the cross of Jesus Christ. As we heard St. Paul write in the opening chapter to his letter to the Corinthian church, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He goes on to note that Christ crucified is God's power. The cross is how God is always able to save us, even when we have no power in ourselves to do so. And it's okay for us to be honest about the absurdity of all of this. The paradox of the cross is real because the cross is a symbol both of victory and defeat. Or as one theologian has described it, the cross has a terrible beauty. One of the most significant theologians of the past hundred years is James Cone, an African-American minister and professor. In a powerful and important book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he writes, The cross is a paradoxical symbol because it inverts the world's value system with the news that hope comes by way of defeat, that suffering and death do not have the last word, that the last shall be first and the first last, that God can make a way out of no way in Jesus' cross was truly absurd to the intellect, yet profoundly real in the souls of black folks. The cross was God's critique of power. Indeed, the cross subverts our understanding of might and questions all of the values of our society. Most of us want to be self-sufficient, popular, successful, comfortable, and well-liked. Well, the cross is none of those things. Just look at it. Some of the words that we might use to describe the cross are ugly, painful, vulgar, repugnant, terrifying, appalling, cursed, disgusting, inhumane, shameful, and disgraced. Those are not the things that we would expect the creator of all things to willingly experience and embrace. In fact, St. Paul says the cross is foolishness. The word he used in Greek was moria, where we get our word moron. And he's right, the cross is moronic and scandalous according to the expectations and norms of our world. And therein lies its paradoxical power. The Danish philosopher of the 1800s, Søren Kierkegaard, wrote, Christianity takes a giant stride into the absurd. Remove from Christianity its ability to shock, and it is altogether destroyed. It then becomes a tiny, superficial thing, capable neither of inflicting deep wounds nor of healing them. As they would say in the tech industry, this is a feature, not a bug. The absurdity of the cross is where we see the power and love of God demonstrated as the cross disturbs the ways of this world. It is precisely when we are at the limit of sin and death that God's ability to make another move when we have none is where we see our salvation. What makes the cross so difficult to embrace, though, it's not only that it is hideous, 
but the cross would have us to admit our weakness. Truth be told, you have to be in a pretty bad situation to look upon the mutilated corpse of a first century Jewish peasant nailed to a piece of wood and think, thank God there's still some hope left. Because it is only after we have tried and failed to be our own messiahs, only after we recognize that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, that we can start to see the beauty and the power of the cross. Again, quoting James Cone, the cross speaks to oppressed people in a way that Jesus' life, teachings, and even resurrection do not. The cross places God in the midst of crucified people. Only when we are honest about our limits and powerlessness do we start to see the unlimited power of a love that is willing to go as far as the cross for us and for our salvation. And for us, a mostly white congregation, we need to see the cross from this angle. Cohn further writes, the lynching tree, so strikingly similar to the cross on Golgotha, should have a prominent place in the American images of Jesus' death. The fact of the matter is that Jesus was lynched, and this should deeply disturb us as we live in a community that lynched African Americans as recently as last century, and in a society that continues to execute minorities and people with mental illness at disproportionate rates. Not to mention the fact that we've had far too many examples of wrongful convictions. If we are going to be so bold as to worship and follow a crucified Messiah, we also need to be courageous enough to help people to get off the crosses that our society puts them on. But we don't want to go there. That sounds too dangerous, too risky, too political. So we would prefer to have the cross be a nice piece of jewelry, a symbol without a body on it so that we can forget what it really means. A triumphant sign to lead our procession as we sing, lift high the cross. We prefer what the 20th century martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer called crossless Christianity. He once wrote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without conversion. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. Bonhoeffer then contrasts this with what he calls costly grace, which he says is the gospel and must be sought again and again. It is costly because it costs a person their life, and it is grace because it gives us the only true life. It is costly because it condemns our sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. That is a significant cost. The cross would have us to re-examine our values, priorities, and commitments. The word sacrifice is not often associated with faith, but it ought to be if the cross is going to be meaningful. Too often we think about faith in terms of what will I get out of this? 
and not enough about the sacrifices that we make in and for love. The cross calls our attention to our inability to be our own saviors. The cross reminds us that there are people all around us who live with similar degradation and violence as a part of their daily lives. The cross teaches us that it is not the size of our wallet, the extent of our influence, the superiority of our intelligence, the grandeur of our job title, the appeal of our looks, or the strength of our muscles that will save us. No, our salvation comes when we embrace the truth that mercy is ours. Because God has chosen to forgive us before we deserved it. That peace is ours, even in the valley of the shadow of death, because our good shepherd is always with us. That hope is ours, because even when we have no options left, God makes a way out of no way. That love is ours, and that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The love of God that is revealed on the cross of Jesus is why we can believe and trust and live as if all shall be well. H.R. Niebuhr was a significant Christian ethicist of the 20th century, and he said, The cross does not deny the reality of death. It reinforces it. It denies its finality. In other words, the cross tells us that when it comes to suffering, we cannot go around it, only through it. And this means for us, when we encounter brokenness or pain, it is not a sign that God is rejecting us, or that God is punishing us, or that we deserve to be in misery, or that we are hopeless. Rather, the foolishness of the cross reminds us that when we run into trouble, when we are at our limit, that God's grace, mercy, and peace are ready to take over. The cross helps us to see abundant grace in a scared world that can only see scarcity. The cross is a sign that we are never alone, that we are already forgiven, that we are always loved. The cross makes those of us who dare to look upon it and see our salvation to be audaciously loving, persistently merciful, and defiantly hopeful. You do not get to the power of the cross through logic, but through love. Thanks be to God that God is love, and that even when we are not, God is able.